Welcome to the second season of the Mastering the Mind podcast, where we will now be exploring the exciting and fast-growing world of esports. We will be interviewing a variety of professional esports players, coaches, and stakeholders in order to better understand the psychological demands of competing at the elite level and the important role the mind plays in esports performance. Today we welcome James Torok Thompson to the podcast. James is a professional League of Legends coach. James has coached teams such as Adam and Tiam, Hybrid Esport, Barrage, Team Singularity, Bifrost, and most recently JDXL. Some of James's recent achievements as a coach include coming second in NLC during the regular season in the summer of 2022 and third in the spring of 2022 also. He's also helped Bifrost qualify into the NLC Division 1 in 2022. So let's welcome James to the podcast. Hey, hello. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you guys? Yeah, good. We we welcome. struggled. Sorry. Sorry for w- making you wait, but we struggled to record the introduction to you. We were making so uh, many mistakes. Most... <laughs> <laughs> we're usually good. 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 We're roster. <laughs> yeah, we're so rusty from, uh, from the two weeks we've had off the... Um... But yeah, thanks so much for coming. How are you? How's your day been? Yeah, it's all right. Going good. Um, just getting on with things, yeah. <laughs> uh, definitely. Have yeah. you recovered from uh, from the conference, from the Sweden trip? Or, oh, yeah, I've been busy. Yeah. Had my uni essays to, essays to get in, so I've just been working on that for the last few weeks. Oh, wow. Well, after the, after the interesting thing. Yeah. 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 Okay. Assessment period. Oh, but, yeah, lovely. Um, yeah, no, uh, sort of like where we like to start straight away with a podcast is sort of get straight into it um and for sort of the listeners to get to know you a bit more is sort of talk us through your journey to date so from growing up to where you are now how you got into esports who is james thompson yeah so i'm the current or well former i guess because it's in the off-season period head coach of uh excel excel's academy side which is one of the teams that plays league of legends in the northern european championship essentially so um that is a league that comprises of the uk and the nordics basically um and is one of the sort of under leagues to the primary league of legends product in europe which is the lec so uh it's a really interesting uh, environment i've sort of got into this position as a coach for, for them over many years of work uh, i've been coaching since i was 16 so a bit of a weird uh timeline but i decided to go into coaching straight away um uh, basically because I had a lot more interest in that side of the game than actually playing. I've played at a high level, uh, at least you know, relative to uh, the standard of the game. So I can compete with my players on that regard. But I think in, in terms of where my interest lies, it was always in coaching, in drafting, in making teams better. And I've just been grinding my way through the League of Legends ecosystem for the past four or five years. Yeah, definitely. I was, I'm really curious. So as a coach, do you think you could take us through what does that look like? So what do you do as a, as a coach, as a, as a law coach, would you say? What are some of the key responsibilities? Like what are some of the roles you kind of do? Take us through that. I think it depends on the, the organization and setup. So especially in my early days, you could be the financier, you could be the manager, you could be the content creator, you can be the, you know, you're kind it of is, doing yeah. all of this alongside coaching because, you know, that's the responsibilities that the org needs to dish out, right? And you sort of just pick that up as you go along. Um, I guess in terms of raw coaching and what I end up doing on that side of things, ideally it would be working on both the macro and micro elements of the game with my players. So things that involve the team, uh, involve the map and things that involve their individual performance and their own movement and how they fight, things like this. So in a, the strictest sense possible, essentially I can tackle anything in-game related, but also tackle anything out of game related as well so for example most teams can't afford a psychologist at the, the div 2 level so i kind of have a basic knowledge of nutrition basic knowledge of um you know different sports like techniques and things like that and try to bring a, a useful framework to my players to sort of support them through and get them to the best position possible yeah it's funny i was having a, a chat to someone uh who's in the esports and they told me like um if you have like as a as a sports psychologist if you have a good knowledge of like a game like for example in you know, a rocket league mm. what stops you from being like a like the head coach of that team and i sort of responded that in my opinion it's sort of better to have like distinct roles so you have the coach figure and then you have the sports psychologist who's who's sort of there to 
to support the coach or the players. Mm. I just want to get your thoughts on that. Do you think, do you, would you agree with that statement or do you feel like I think have different roles or in like role clarity or what do you think? I think having, especially if you do have a, let's say expertise, right. In sports psychology and you're, you have expertise and I, I do think it has to be expertise at rocket league being able to fuse that into a head coach is is a reasonable thing to do however in a ideal setup let's say you're you're probably specializing one or the other because it's very difficult and this is something i've experienced to shift between that role of being like i'm your head coach and i need to whip you into shape you know make sure that you're you know respecting your teammates applying some of that pressure on you sometimes if you need it or lying off you sometimes if uh depending on how things are looking right um whilst at the same time being this sort of supportive uh, character that they can come to and speak to about right because essentially it makes it like a, a very self-contained bubble that can be a bit risky I think and it's a lot nicer for players to just have this outsourced person they can go and say hey uh, you know who's checking in with them making sure they're all right they can say anything to right you know things like this would be really beneficial for a lot of players and so ideally having those roles split in an org would be would be the way to go but there's nothing stopping especially in the secondary area or this person who has let's say sports like knowledge being a really good head coach i just think ideally it's split at the end of the day yeah okay we sort of experienced that all then we went to visit like wolves academy recently and we're talking to like some of the head coaches then it seems you know at that level i think coaches have a really good understanding of the importance of like the mental side of sport mm -hmm. and like sports psychology so i guess yeah, it's, it's, it's important for them to have some sort of, of knowledge. Yeah, it's, there, there was um, actually one guy who sort of, he made sure on his journey to the role that he wanted to become, he made sure he touched base on each one on the journey, like each role. So when he was at the top and, the, and he basically is the head of coaching, he understands everyone's perspectives because sometimes you can like turn around to someone and say, you know, like, what do you know? You, you've never done this. Um, whereas he has, and, and he felt like that was good for him as a, as a coach. So, uh, so yeah, but I wanted to sort of talk to you about some of the thought processes that were going through your head when you sort of came to the realization that you just wanted to be a coach. You say like your main interests lie within coaching because I think sharing your thought processes may inspire players who that they think they want to become a pro, but showing them that they've got other career avenues would also be good in esports, you know? Um, so yeah, if you could share maybe why you thought coaching was for you rather than becoming an IGL, for example, which sort of shares similar, you know? Yeah. I mean, so for me, I was on the lingering point. So I was trying to make a decision, right? Either I could put a lot of effort into trying to already enhance my rank within the game, let's say, and push to be, good enough to be at the LEC, which is what I wanted to aim for at the time, or ULCS when I started. Yeah. And that was one way I could spend my time. The other way I could spend my time was going into the coaching route. And so I kind of had a crossroads in my opinion, because it's very difficult to do both effectively. And previously I used to run a community server called CRX that had 200, 300 people in. And I ran this for a year or two when I was like 14, 15. And it was basically for scrimming, other providing a practice environment, let's say, and p potential tournaments for people on like the lower end of the game. So anyone from any rank could join. We'd sort of filter them into teams, and then they can practice against each other, going to tournaments online. So this was sort of before the the, the giant ERL space developed. Yeah. In that time, I used to just because I was building these teams a lot of the time and administrating, and then having played for a while within sort of that space i'd sometimes just chat to the teams all the time about strategy about uh what they could have done better vice versa when we played each other right and i found that really really fun and interesting so i found a lot of enjoyment actually in terms of refining gameplay and looking at the wider let's say perspective of the team originally i was less focused on individual stuff i was more about how the map moved how people were playing off each other right that was my main fun let's say and then the other thing i really liked about the game was drafting outdrafting people at least in league of legends this is the concept where you pick your characters in a certain order and so doing that in a better way than your opponent can lead to a really big advantage before the game even starts now both of that was really fascinating to me so when i got into the position where i could go one down one pathway or the other i saw a team was looking for a coach at the uk level and thought great you know what i'm just going to jump into that now because that looks like an opportunity 
we'll see how things go. If I really enjoy it, then I'll keep going. And if for whatever reason, it doesn't seem like something that's suited for me or I'm not good enough because it was quite an unprofessional space back then. It still is to a degree, uh, especially the, the further down the grassroots you go. But if I'm not good enough or whatever, then I can always just stop and do something else. But I found a lot of enjoyment in it. Players seem to like me. Uh, my team seemed to get better over time. Uh, so that was a general indicator that coaching was at least a decent uh, avenue to go down. And I just moved you know, from there. So I think the main thing is, is coaching is, can be equally as exciting as playing. And it doesn't mean you, you can't play the game ever, right? I still play the game in my spare time and, <laughs> you know, have yeah. fun. But uh, you can have a lot of satisfaction in helping other people get better, um, making sure your strategy is on point, bring that sense of togetherness you can bring to a team, especially in terms of leading people. Uh, it's just really exciting. And I'm sure many players could potentially enjoy coaching. And I'm sure that will become more of a common transition point as well for ex-pro players to go into coaching. So, yeah. yeah. For sure, for sure. It was nice for you to sort of take us through that journey and the thought processes. Um, but I'm interested to know, like, throughout that journey, you, you mentioned that you've been finishing assignments and things like that. Like, have you carried on your studies throughout? And if so, what studies were they? And why was it important to carry on um, education if you did? So I just think esports is cutthroat. <laughs> the, and and uh, I also don't know how good I am. So uh, I, I think those are the two things for me. The industry is cutthroat. You have a contract that lasts three months to a year most of the time. And if, you're, if there's somebody better than you, they will replace you. And at the same time, you don't know what opportunity is going to be available to you. You don't know the stability of the ecosystem. For example, the NLC recently had a huge crash in its stability. That's my current working ground, Excel pulled out, the organization I was working with, among many others. And so there's going to be very few spots that could be considered even worthwhile necessarily is, uh, in, terms, in terms of next season. And if I can't make that jump to Spain or France, naturally people from the UK now need visas uh, and stuff like that, right? It, there's only very limited spots available at the top end. And so for me, it felt very important. Well, I don't know how good all the other coaches are. They keep their work secret for the most part, as makes sense. They don't want to give away a competitive advantage. And I also don't know how good uh, or how likely it is that I'm going to be able to sit in this industry long term. Of course, I'd love to. But the reason I stuck with my studies, so I did my, I just finished my GCSEs when I got into it. I stuck with my levels um, and then uh, went to university anyway the reason I did that is because I felt it was possible to do both at the same time it just required a lot of extra work yeah. and uh, that kept my that gave me a really big safety net if for whatever reason esports becomes something that I can't see as a full-time venture um, for example I always have my degree to fall back on and if esports goes really far then great uh, I can keep running with that and I'll have a degree to sit on anyway so that was at least my logic. Whether it was the best decision or not, it was just my way of trying to to be secure whilst also going further yeah. in the industry. Yeah, I yeah, know for sure. There's a, there's a lot of research around sort of why in, in terms of like going through that difficult process and it being so competitive in esports, mm. it's similar to sort of the research that I've done in academy football. Uh, and there being so many limited spots at the top end uh, to like make it professional, for example, having a wider identity and having more value in education is so much, it provides so much benefit for yourself um, and less psychological distress, for example, if it didn't work, work out. Because like, for example, what happened with your org, you know, you, you've got a degree to fall back on. Um, and it's, is it something that you're interested in? What yeah, it is. In? So, I mean, I study politics and international studies at Warwick. Um, so it's completely different to to sports, mate, uh, or sports and esports and coaching. Yeah. I want to do coaching qualifications in some sense because I feel like I've already got a lot of knowledge, but I haven't had that streamlined, and I'd like it to be banked that I do actually have some some skills in this this area. They don't really exist in esports at the moment, but maybe I can do the, them somewhere else. But yeah. Uh, yeah, it's very different, and I think it's completely fine. I I was interested in it academically, so I just went with it, and I figured, well. Uh, I can I can just keep the two trees going. But as you said, there's like this pyramid, right? Where if you get flinged off the side of it because you don't get into these like spots at the very high end uh, that are able to be full-time or able to sustain, your, sustain, sustain yourself within the sport, there's a very, very real risk that you just sit there and you're like, oh my God, I've got nothing. And I've, I've had that situation from players before as well that from 16 decided to quit school, for example, especially in some of these other European countries where school is... Uh, 
I guess, easier to get out of. Uh, you know, they don't, it's not compulsory to be in some form of education until 18 or whatever. Went yeah. straight to a gaming house, let's say. They were there for three months. Uh, they got kicked from that, like, super offer, let's say. Uh, they fell, went to another team. They're like, it's okay, I can make it back. I can make it back. And now they're sat there like, oh my gosh, like, you know, there's, do I go back to school? What do I do? Um, I know I'm still good, but I'm not necessarily able to make this full time. And so there's a very real risk for these, these kids who are essentially leaving school at 16 to pursue their dream, which is lovely to very quickly find themselves without any, uh, ground to stand on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like a full identity crisis sort of when you come out, like, what, what do I do? I suppose that's why it's so good to sort of promote because their dream is esports, I suppose, in a sense. Um, playing it obviously would be ideal, but there's avenues like yourself, uh, coaching, and there's so many other roles that are being created in uh, esports at the moment that I suppose aren't even there at the moment, but they are being created, um, which is really good. And I think, yeah. If there's, I suppose there, there is more esports programs that are, and courses that are being uh, developed at universities. So there's that um, for them to pursue because esports is it's a dream to, to sort of work in. You know, growing up, like it's something I've always wanted to work in, which is why we're pursuing it. Um, but if there was an esports sort of course back when I was studying, I would have loved to have been on that. Um, so yeah, yeah, hundred percent. You, you mentioned like some coaching courses is that something that is sort of needed in the space right now for coaches because obviously you mentioned also that transition from being a player to, to a coach mm. and I feel like yeah it's, it's sometimes it's not an easy transition and sometimes maybe you don't you haven't developed those skills to actually be or like coach optimally let's say mm. do you think that's sort of needed in the space right now in terms of for coaches to support coaches and support future coaches or yeah. if done well I think it would be a really good thing yeah. Uh, I think because of how everything is set up though in the space you don't want to make the access to coaching difficult mm. maybe because a lot of people don't know about it but getting into coaching is something which sort of stems from passion I think if people saw they had to do a qualification to start coaching quote-unquote that would be very weird because a lot of it is also game knowledge related yeah. and you could be an outstanding coach without having any qualifications right now right and that's the like for example nobody has a qualification in the LEC level in terms of coaching doesn't mean they're a bad coach if anything they can be really good but the point is is uh over time it will probably be something that's useful to set a level of standardization and also to make sure that players are protected. I have been told by players in the past that, oh, this coach, I had to just not listen to him because he was more damaging than helpful. Of course, some people have very different perspective on what's, uh, how the game should be played. And so that might also be playing into it. It might not be the coach is bad, but it's really important that, especially if esports becomes something that's sustainable in the same way as like the football pyramid, everyone's doing everyone's doing football from really young ages, things like that, that there is some level of knowledge that should be deemed necessary to be able to coach the game effectively because there is stuff that are just fundamentals to the game. And if you don't understand them and you're, then you're trying to teach other people, you might end up you know, hurting their development, let's say, over time. And it's important that that doesn't become a norm. So I can imagine it's something that's important uh, the further we go. And there should also be a very clear idea, though, that people who have been coaching for a long time who are good already just because they don't have the qualification doesn't mean they're not good and there, maybe there's a way to fast track them into just handing these out because uh, and that's going to be very difficult to determine because it's quite messy with with how it will be set up but I, I think that's the balance that needs to be struck and over time that there's the there's certainly a place for that yeah for sure for sure yeah. i agree i think uh, that standard would be very good um but i wanted to sort of delve into like your coaching specifically um mm. And because it, we never hear it, it was like my first experience of Lana Dreamhack. And um, I'm so interested to know, I suppose, what you do as a coach um, and your input. You know, when you're actually in a competition mm. uh, and it's like in between rounds or plays, what are you saying? Do you have high input, small input? You know, talk us through sort of your processes during competition. I think it can depend on the coach. But for me personally, I have a relatively high input in terms of how. Uh, things are, are working and things are moving I'm not so unafraid to sort of lead from the front in proposing ideas making sure the team's on track you know making sure everyone has a plan they can dependably look towards as well because really you want the players to be focused on the competition at hand and not having to think about 
if you can take some weight off them in terms of thinking about strategy or thinking about uh you know togetherness you know making sure everyone's a cohesive unit then i think that's a really good thing a coach does and so for me i i like to of course talk to the players make sure i understand them but especially when it gets to the point of uh, our official games so whether that's a best of one or best of uh, threes and best of fives as we go through the competition i usually have relatively high input in how we're playing uh what sort of uh champions we should be picking for example and how we can keep progressing as a team right i mean it's not just oh what we're we picking on the day you know that's doesn't sound like a particularly hard job but what do we need to work on over the next few weeks here's a presentation on uh let's say wave management in regards to herald which is one of the key objectives in league of legends how do we need to play around this uh specifically right and making sure that then the team is practicing that and doing that uh in a good way and I guess the other big impact I have is I usually decide the training schedule. So trying to make sure that's refined as possible, that it's useful, that it isn't just repetitive game after game after game, uh, which is the the typical thing in esports right now, mainly because there are limited ways in how you can practice. I think it's important that the players have a practice environment they want to enter into, uh, you know, every single day with some excitement with the fact they're moving forward. And so I can have a lot of impact in that area, provided that you know, everyone's also willing to see to see the the benefits of doing it a little bit differently, which is also something because players look at it, they see, oh, this is the way you get good. Look at the Asians, the, the Koreans, the Chinese, you know, they're practicing 12 games a day in four different blocks until their eyes bleed and they're on three, six hours of sleep. And these guys always win. So that must be the way to do it. And I'm not saying they have to do 12 games a day, but it's become very standardized in Europe to do, let's say, four to five games a day um, of just playing against the same team for a block of four to five hours. And I'm not sure that's necessarily the most beneficial way you can spend your time over the entire week in terms of getting better, right? So uh, it requires player buy-in. I think if you can propose them good reasons why they should do it a little bit differently and you know, take a um, more optimized training schedule, in my opinion, make sure that they're able to see the game in a theoretical manner and have good discussions with you and then push into, okay, we're in the tournament now. This is our defined strategy. I want to make this tweak. What do you guys think? Yes, coach, that sounds great. Okay, we'll run with that next game, right? Between games specifically, and this will be, I guess, the last thing I can touch on in best of threes and best of fives. There's actually lots of games. That means there's lots of drafts. And if you've just lost the last game, the last thing you, the players want to do is come out from playing for 40 minutes, let's say, in a really strict game, and then have to come up with a game plan among themselves. Yeah. Of course, they want to be involved because they care and they want to make sure it's the best thing possible, but say, all right, guys, don't worry. We're going to our next game now. I think they looked a little weak in this area, but this champion was helping them hang on a bit too much. So I, I propose we take that off the table and then we, we can run with a very similar strategy to last time, for example, and just have sort of these ABC scenarios ready for them so they can come in and say, oh, I like that, but can we tweak it here perhaps? And okay, great. Get a break. Come back. Uh, you know, after you've got the water, gone to the toilet, and let's go again. I think that means everything runs smoothly, and I can have quite a big impact as a coach in that way. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, I suppose a lot to unpack there. Um, I, it, I, it was a long, <laughs> long. We love it though. But there's so much I want to have sort of input on and ask further questions. Um, so I suppose. The first one being um, in terms of like you mentioned, like the the Asians, the Koreans, the Chinese and their sort of training schedule sounds pretty intense. Mm. What sort of your view on um, you mentioned like you have base knowledge of uh, nutrition, um, things around health and self-care. Mm. What, what's your opinion on that and how do you sort of implement that within your players? So especially with the case that I work in right now, which is I'm working in the tier two space i suppose yeah. the important thing to keep in mind is most people are either just starting their careers or they're still trying to work towards something and so the, the schedule that has been promoted or standardized in the asian league of legends space is one that i don't think is fundamentally sustainable for a lot of people and it's not optimal either with my limited knowledge right um i think it can lead to very short-term results so for example if you have the best team in the world and you practice that incredibly hard for a year you might be able to keep that up i mean there'll be a lot of burnout and stuff along the way but you might be able to at the right moment it's the world championship we all peak we've been putting in loads of effort and then okay we're done you know <laughs> um but i think that's not good for players to adopt as their long-term strategy and one thing for me is trying to foster people hopefully moving along in their 
careers and short-term results shouldn't be the main priority although there's an interesting conflict of interest there where in order to for me to climb as well as a coach i need to see, be seen as winning <laughs> to a degree um, and same with the players as well right yeah. but trying to balance that in a way that is also effective and is supported by sports science as far as possible um, sleep science nutritional things there's only so much i can influence let's say in an online environment as one guy but typical things like promoting a very healthy sleep schedule because that's also where you do most of your learning right from the day and make sure you've got yeah. enough energy um promote let's say healthy activities but not force players to go into them because one i can't really force anyone but it's saying this is something that could be beneficial or worth trying out and then also uh, trying to set a training schedule that's more diverse and interesting. For me, it stems, for me uh, personally anyway, if you go into an environment, your practice environment, and you think, oh, I can learn something today. This might be, this, this is quite an exciting thing. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. That's a lot better than a more monotonous schedule of okay guys it's the 53rd scrim of the year we're about seven weeks in now uh okay i mean that'll be in the yeah. korean case but you know we're 14 weeks in i know how everyone plays i'm a bit tired but we're just going to go through the the motions and we're supposed to be working on this thing but it doesn't really affect me so there's nothing for me to really work for here i'll just go through and do my bit before the end of before i have to clock out again that's a really bad training environment to have and so rather than having it be clock in clock out hopefully if everybody can be interested in what they're doing and they they're living a, a lifestyle that is optimal for their performance as far as possible that they're willing to go to then that is a way that would be a better training schedule for me and i think that will help people as they go through their career uh, reach greater heights because they don't have to achieve everything in one year investing everything to win this year will not help you in the long run probably uh you know only one team gets to win every year it's very cut cutthroat again in a way right that the journey to the very top in terms of competition you know there's going to be 128 teams starting out in the sec tier two of official tier two let's say give or take this year and only one of those teams ever wins so you're going to get a lot of ben more benefit working on getting the right processes behind your practice and steadily learning and eventually winning <laughs> rather than trying to go all in one. Yeah. No, it's reassuring though that you put those sort of things in, into, into practice and that's part of your philosophy. But I'm sort of interested to know, like, obviously there can only be one winner, but I suppose, is there more to League of Legends than just winning? Like, I suppose you make relate like in terms of player welfare that mm. like I can imagine that team that won it if that's sort of their schedule I can see them falling out of love with League of Legends like because they've had, had that schedule um, oh yeah <laughs> like the relationships can be so strained because of the amount they're practicing mm. together um, whereas maybe the flourishing environment that you're creating creates long long-term friendships um, and, and there's so many other benefits other than just winning that is coming from that coaching environment, I would say. Um, so, yeah. I also have a, I, I've started to sort of think about reframing the grind culture um, and add, because I, I like to identify as being sort of a grinder. Like I know that <laughs> I like to work hard, um, but adding things in to the grind culture that isn't just playing. So mm -hmm. Goosebreeder mentioned analyzing performance, which is really good, analyzing opposition performance. Uh, adding things in like self-care, exercise, uh, meal prepping, things like that, that are going to, it's still considered grinding doing those four things, but um, you're taking care of yourself and your, your player welfare is getting sorted, which is, uh, yeah, something I'm trying to promote, I suppose, because... Yeah, those schedules are brutal. <laughs> Hi guys, Adri Time. So if you're an esports player, an esports coach, or an esports organization who's simply interested in incorporating psychology support within your system, feel free to reach out. You know, at Mastering the Mind, we provide different types of services, whether it's one-to-one -one support, team support, or educational workshops on the mental side of esports. You know, we really seek to support players and coaches develop the necessary psychological skills to not only enhance their esports performance, but enhance their esports participation experience as well. So whether it's coping with tilt or, you know, coping with the pressure of competition, you know, those feelings of stress and anxiety before a big comp, these are all things that we can help you with. The first session is free of charge, so feel free to reach out. 
And if you want more information, just visit www.mtmconsultancy.org or just send us a message on our various social media accounts at mtm underscore OFF. Right, back to the episode. Yeah, uh, it's, it's also important just to add on there that, of course, you can do all these things that are grind worthy, let's say. So, for example, going to the gym, you know, doing all the things that can be seen as optimizing your own performance, whilst also a bit more on the self-care side. Of course, that's a good thing. But you also just need time to decompress and not do anything that is specifically grind related. I would like to consider myself a grinder and how much time I put in. But I think it's it's actually vital to be able to sustain a huge amount of effort throughout your days to also make sure that you can just kick back and relax for certain periods of time and not feel guilty for that. Because I think a lot of players struggle with that. Um, I know I, I have for periods of time as a coach struggle with that where I feel like oh I could always be watching a VOD or I could be prepping this for tomorrow but it what it means is that my level of performance across the split is more you know let's say uh, it, it never dips significantly and can only go up whereas other people's performance through the split might go you know see see this type of pattern and the better way I don't know if people can see the camera but yeah, I hope yeah. they can <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I think having a a more defined base level that is consistent and can only rise, for example, in periods of higher stress or where you need higher performance to commit more time then is a much healthier way of doing it than potentially burning out at the most critical point. Uh, and that's important as well. Yeah, no, I appreciate you adding on to that. Yeah, really good. Yeah. Um, I, I was also, based on that, uh, me wanting to add into things, um, I wanted to sort of know, like you mentioned, you were high input. I saw an opinion um, where it was sort of, how much do you veer from the things you work on in training? Like I saw like small inputs based on like what the opposition are doing um, and minor changes you can make are good, but then like changing whole tactical plans and thing, things that you've never worked on mm. uh, would be quite detrimental to performance. So like what... What's sort of your view on that opinion? Um, and yeah. I think you need to know what team you have. If people are extremely adaptable within your team and you can game by game make significant changes to how you want to play based on what would be theoretically the best way to win in this specific scenario, then by all means go for it. However, you're not necessarily, I think it's very rare to have a team of, of five who can can do that consistently. And you may have drawbacks in other areas because of it. For example, if you're very good at changing champions a lot of the time, that's great, but maybe your laning phase is significantly weaker than your opposition, which means that essentially you have a weakness there as well. It's almost a double-edged sword because they've refined that champion and repeated the matchup so many times, whereas you're only going in with uh, a more limited conceptual framework of how to play out the match. You may end up with people falling short or falling too far behind even if it's theoretically correct mm. and so you've got to be quite careful with making sure people have enough comfort and enough repetition uh in what they're going to be playing and what they're doing whilst at the same time picking the most optimal strategy possible and it's kind of trying to wade away through that course i think if you always stick to comfort you can be undone by better teams and i think if you always try to play to the what would be the best strategy in the moment you may end up curtailing your own ability to win because you're not necessarily comfortable with what you're playing um, or at least in how to win uh, with, with that. So that's probably the best way to frame it. Um, and my high input will come from trying to walk that line effectively. <laughs> you, you speak unbelievably well, like some of the, your thought processes. Um... You're 21, right? Yeah. Jesus, that's impressive. I remember that's why I was the so comp- impressed yeah. with your presentation um, at uh ERN like unbelievable yeah, yeah. thank you guys so good to like listen to you talk through I'm, I'm learning a lot uh, yeah for sure I've got a question for you so obviously in esports in general there seems to be a high turnover of players right in in, in mm-hmm. orgs and it seems to be the same for coaches to some extent uh depending obviously you know, the, the game title and, and the level but I looked to sort of your well we both looked at your profile and sort of the, all the teams that you've <laughs> sort of worked that right there's a lot there um so yeah how is it as a coach to sort of have to sort of enter a team start the process from scratch again like it must be so difficult to adapt you know we talk a lot about the players but i'm curious to learn more about you know the coaches how do they adapt how do they cope with this sort of process <laughs> i'll um, tell you something funny my uh 
just to touch on the team record stuff and feel free to add to your question but uh mine is actually slightly better in terms of team longevity than average Jeez. uh yeah. yeah 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 that's crazy <laughs> i saw that's some, some yeah i know it's, it's crazy because i was looking and sometimes it, it said like two months you know you know a, a month so it's like how 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 are you expected to you know make an impact in that sort of short term or i don't know it's like you said at the start, it's it's a sort of very short-term vision. So yeah, I'm just curious to know how how you adapt to that and how you cope with that as a coach. Yeah, so I always like the idea of being on longer projects in terms of being able to make more of a mark. And I'd, I've actually seen, if people go look through my results on Leakpedia, <laughs> um, the, the projects I've been at longer often get more successful over time because you get to do things, you get to optimize, you get to keep the right pieces um, to fit your, your system. And... I think over time that can be really beneficial. The flip side is, is some of these organizations are often capped at a certain level of player they're able to afford, um, the level they're able to compete at. And so then you have to move on to other organizations to keep climbing the, the competitive pyramid. And it's difficult because some of the ones that will be one month or two months long, that's because I've joined them for a qualifier, for example. And so my job is to come in, win the qualifier, and then move on for the most part. That's how I end up joining some of these teams mm -hmm. uh, and the best I mean my, I think my longest project was Singularity which mm -hmm. I was on for about a year and year and a half I want to say it might, may not be entirely accurate but I sort of joined their team whilst the first roster was already half formed for a summer split almost got relegated but didn't <laughs> uh, just narrowly avoided it had a talk with the ownership they said okay we want to keep you on and I said all right but I want to have control over the roster and sort of how everything runs what you're able to do about that and the guy said look we'll give you full control of how everything runs we, we you know we trust you we've spoken to you a lot about how the team's been going and we think you've been really ac relatively accurate about what it needs so you know have control run our project for us if as long as you're capable of that because this was a few years ago now so i was even younger than i was i was like 18 19 at the time and they said yeah go for it this is you, you know you can make a vision and over that period of time we ended up think, finishing fourth out of like a, a, in a 12 team league i think it was at the time or 10 team league it, it changes all the time um and then third fourth in spring and then with the same roster uh third in summer so there was like an overall improvement people had the roster pegged at the beginning of the split when people do like tier rankings like sixth or seventh and I think that shows that if you have a very coherent vision about how a team can come together, um, you know, promote a sustainable environment, and then you push that throughout the entire year. So, uh, for example, one of the people you heard me speak with at the conference, uh, Matthew Watson, I, he was the, I brought him in as a, some form of performance psych for the team. He, granted, he wasn't around all the time. He was busy doing a lot of other things, but he was willing to lend us about, you know, an hour or two a week to do a team presentation, talk through some important concepts outside of the game, make sure the team was having sort of another interesting outlook when they come to practice. Oh, Watson's presenting today. Uh, and he got integrated into the team as Captain Cringe over time because he was trying to tell them to do things that were useful, right? But, um, <laughs> you know, uh, I think that shows side. that... <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, I think it shows though, right, that if you have... Um, time within a roster and you and you can build it and shape it as a coach then you can get a lot better results and it's nice for the players to know what they're walking into singularity was a lot more of a trusted project by the time i finished with them than when i started and people were wanting to join and over after that after i left it went downhill again sorry guys but um you know uh, at that time it was a lot better and so there's a, a weird balance where you want to stay with teams long term, you want to sign long term, but at that tier two level, there's a pressure of can is the organization sustainable enough as a business? Do you have enough salary to yeah. to, to match what everybody needs? Can you still be competitive if you start with them long term? And so that's what leads to this really heavy churn. Where, for example, if I'm going to join a team this off season, probably nine out of ten teams, if I can even see it as acceptable to join, I'll be joining a pre-built roster by whoever was there is like the management or whatever yeah. and that might not necessarily fit my vision with how i see the game or how i want to play it, can i make the same impact i want to make there where basically i've got all my players there and i look at the rest of the league and i'm like well what can i do with these guys it, it's 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 really awkward and i hope that doesn't continue to be the case i think it should always be coach or manager driven into signing the right 
players and then ideally also these players can be signed longer term than three months or a year yeah for sure do, when, when you mentioned you have like control over the roster do you have control of budget uh i often know the budget i i, I didn't so for example in the case of singularity they said this is your uh we had a negotiation basically about what the budget was going to be they said yeah, we want to yeah, give you this much right. i said i'm going to need a little more and then i could I could sort of operate as the manager and coach in that respect. Often there's usually a manager, for example, that's how it works on Excel and most other teams. They say the budget is this, we want to sign you, you sign, and then they're mainly their job is to, you know, stick to the budget and sign players. Yeah. You're, you're <laughs> uh, but, sort of choosing where to spend it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it sounds like there's a wide variety of skills that a coach oh, yeah. <laughs> um, like much more than I would say potentially a football coach. I remember <laughs> writing contracts. I had to, yeah. I had I I I because the the contracts on Singularity, sorry guys, weren't very good, and so the players complained about them. And so wow. I sat there for about six hours. With my dad, he's not a lawyer, but he's seen better contracts before, and we were there rewriting it so the players would be willing to sign because <laughs> it was just me and my dad. Yeah, the yeah. You know, but I was just like. All right, I need to get these guys over the line because I'll sign somewhere else. Otherwise, if it's just yeah. the contracts that are the issue, I'm sure I can figure out a way to make it like include everything they want, make sure it's mm -hmm. secure, go to Singularity and just get it done myself. It's like I should not be doing that as the coach, but yeah. I wanted my damn roster, man. Anything to go. But uh, like, what would you say are some of the uh, qualities uh, that you think a successful esports coach needs? Um, to yeah, uh, be really adaptable. Uh, and have a, a a growth mindset because there's a million one things you might not know or understand and you have to be willing to accept that yeah. and you might have to fill a huge proponent of different roles so I think you have to be open-minded but know when you're correct in something as well and be able to put your foot down so it's really again it's it's like trying to walk that line correctly but you know the players you're play you're coaching are experts in their own right to a degree and you should accept their knowledge as something that's important and value them and that relationship you have was also trying to steer the team in the right direction and that's the the balance and you have to be able to shift between those two things the other thing is you have to be willing to to learn which i think is a bit different to being open-minded uh especially when you're starting out you're going to bump into players who know more than you and you're going to have to grind your way in terms of knowledge because there's a huge amount of knowledge available on the internet and how to play the game but whatever you have right now won't be the best form of League of Legends that can be played because it's a lot of it isn't very public knowledge, especially the higher up you go. And it's important that if you want to understand concepts and refine them in your own way, that you have to just be sat there learning about the game 24-7. If somebody, if you see something that's surprising to you, jump on it and be like, why is this surprising? Why didn't I expect this? Because it clearly worked out. Is it because that the play was better than the one you had in your head? Or is it that actually they saw something some dynamic that you didn't see and be able to sort of add that into how you see and teach the game over time. Yeah. I guess the final thing is you don't have to be a leader to be a coach in esports, but to be a head coach, you need to be able to organize and uh, I, guess, I guess in some way lead. I, I don't know if you can be a head coach and be quiet or want to hang back because even though your knowledge can be respected and you can be a more, there's loads of different forms of leadership, right? I think it's important that you can bring people together, which is one thing that a lot of esports teams don't have is that sense of togetherness, that sense of cohesion mm -hmm. and in inside and outside of the game. And so that's within your job description to be able to do that. And if you're more interested in, let's say, strategic elements, then position yourself as a strategic coach. Go to teams and say, look, I think I can add in this very specific area a lot of benefit and try to join in on that angle. I think there's a lot of specialization in esports that coaches sort of lack because it's such a wide array of skills, as we've discussed here, that can go into being a head coach that actually if you can say, well, look, I'm really, really good at positionally coaching top laners and I've got vouchers from all these guys, like you can look at my work, here's some POVs and just take that to any team in Europe. If you're good enough and you get into their DMs, they will at least consider it because there's a very clear way in which you can benefit the team and sort of spice things up again, right? Um, in the same way that having an added sports psych can be a useful addition to a head coach. So could, let's say, five positional coaches in each role if they were that good, because that takes more weight off you. It means they can put their thought process and effort into each of the players individually. So the players feel very supported in terms of their gameplay. You can focus more on the team cohesion side, what you expect from the players there. 
and I think slimming down those responsibilities into something that is as streamlined and as useful as possible would be a really good thing for both players and staff because then people can do better at the roles they're assigned to do. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, it's sort of about uh, supporting the coach and the other roles that can support the coach. How realistic do you think this is um, throughout your experience working in esports? Um, in football, coach or managers have like uh, an entourage of people who they take <laughs> with them to jobs um as sort of a you know if you're going to hire me you need to hire these guys as yeah. well he's a part of my team um is that possible in esports and w would you consider that um it's and something it's something in a way i've done already so i've brought my analyst from previous teams with me i've brought my assistant coach from previous teams with me where i can yeah. of course i think building a coaching staff you can trust and deliver a really good 100%. atmosphere and environment is is a really good thing yeah. but again sometimes this isn't realistic Sometimes the team already has someone in place or people they want to bring themselves and the salary maybe doesn't allow for just more than you to join. Uh, perhaps your person from your coaching staff got a better offer elsewhere. So they're just going to go for that, even if you'd want to bring them with you. And in reality, that's what stops these sort of things happening more regularly. But uh, I think it's completely possible or plausible, at least in the future, that that would be something common because I've worked with this analyst on what data I want uh, for a year. Why would I want to scrap him when he's doing everything that I think is beneficial? Yeah. You know, I'd rather keep him. <laughs> so uh, I guess Torok and Yalen were a, a team, tag team from Singularity to Excel. We'll see what happens this year. Might be possible, might not be. Uh, I brought my assistant coach, Kial, with me to, to different places, so working with him a couple of times. Uh, haven't managed to work with him recently. He had a great offer. He went to Mexico for a bit. But the oh. point is, is that you know, these things are more than possible and they can deliver a really good experience for players if you you can move in as a, a package deal, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, okay. For sure. I was so we talked about the coach there and some like mental qualities you think you know the coach should have. What about a player? You know, you talked about sort of the recruitment. What do you sort of look for in a player in terms of like those mental qualities? So you mentioned adaptability at the start of the call. Mm. What what else do you do you sort of but I always will put open-mindedness really, really high because I think there's so much to learn, especially at the tier two level, that you can't claim to be a an expert on every part of the game. And so if you want to be able to improve, you need to be open-minded to how you can improve, right? And you can't be locked into any specific opinion, even if you think it's correct, because people need to have these discussions in order to grow and find the right way of playing as a team. I think it's really important not to be closed off because then people will give up. <laughs> frankly as soon as you lay down that wall between as a player between you as a coach or you as your other players and say no i'm right you're wrong not interested in talking i hate the word why i've had a player say this before um <laughs> it, it just makes it impossible and uh at least for you to grow to more than you already are with the assistance of others so make sure that you're able to at least have these discussions with people and eventually if people are reasonable you'll be able to you know set on a path forward other things i really want to look for is players need to understand what their strengths and weaknesses are um because of course everyone can play the game to a good level but why would this team want to pick you up over somebody else what do you need to work on in order to become better um how can you contribute the most to a team uh or or slot into a team and make it better i think a lot of players don't really conceptualize this or at least they don't do it outwardly and promote themselves as being able to do a certain thing very well and it would benefit anyone who's trying to work their way up in, I think, any esport um, that to, to understand what they're able to offer to rosters is and where that where they are and where they're moving to is is you know loads loads of good things can come from that. So sit there and conceptualize yourself a bit. Why would I pick myself up if if I was the the GM for this lineup? Do I look like I'm the the correct person here? Do I slot into this team the best or should I go to this slightly lower paying team because I actually fit that roster a lot better and I think it can go a lot further. But having some idea and scoping that out, probably a good thing to do. And the final thing I'd say is we sort of said open-mindedness and understanding your specialization is important things for both coaches and players. But as a player, also being able to work hard at the end of the day is also going to be important. You can't rest on your laurels and it's important that you're willing to put in the time, especially if you're not playing well enough to say, 
you know, take responsibility, which uh, is, I guess, also important, right? Take responsibility, say, guys, I know I'm not playing well enough at the moment. Um, I'm not enjoying the game. This is my strategy for getting better. And if, and then if somebody poses you and says, look, it's been two weeks, your strategy clearly isn't paying off and I'm really not happy with you on the team, but I don't want to kick you. Can you just try playing 10 games a day? Let's, let's just say this is it and just grind really hard for a week and just see if that will help because otherwise you might have to think about benching you. But being open to having that discussion, idea to, you know, yeah, un understanding guys, I know I'm not playing well enough. I, I'll try this, I you know, owning that and then trying to move forward. That will go a long way in making sure people want to work with you. And I guess the final part of being able to do all this is be someone that people want to work with as well. Right? If you're someone who takes responsibility, is open-minded, able to have discussions, uh, you know, all these types of things, then you'll go from team to team because people will speak well of you. And even if you don't necessarily fit in this one team because you're going through a slump and they kick you, everyone knows you as the guy who you still try to, you know, he tried his best. We just really needed somebody who was playing a bit better at the moment because otherwise we weren't going to make playoffs. But nobody was going to say, oh, well, this guy, he was sandbagging the entire split. He wouldn't talk to any of us. We've, I regret picking him up. You know, you, you can see the difference in how that reference might be phrased. So okay. look at look at trying to be a player that people want to play with and recruit. 100%. I think that's some great advice for, for players out there. Um, sort of moving away from, from esports, uh, you mentioned how how important it is to decompress and sort of switch off. How do you like to uh, disconnect uh, from, from coaching and League of Legends? Playing other games can actually be a complete decompressor for me, which I might, might sound weird, but I've loved gaming for my life. So yeah. uh, I play Hearthstone or I play World of Warcraft or Valorant even. That, that's one way I've found a way is like, okay, this is just my rest time. I'm not on League in any sense, and that's good. League has become less of a restful activity for me over the time because my brain goes into the analytical mode even if I don't want it to. Yeah. So even though I'm playing it, let's say, for fun or playing uh, you know, playing by myself for fun, I'm often still trying to play optimally or to my best or I'm still learning things because I'm kind of just in that mode as soon as I see League of Legends on my screen. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm passively not regenerating as much as I can. But suddenly if I know that I'm playing with my friends, for example, I'm playing a duo queue game with a friend, for example, or I play with my university team, that can be a decompressor because it's more about the social aspect than it is the the refinement or the, the grind. Um, I mean, other things can be, you know, walks, going you know exercise sport uh, i play table tennis for example i find that really fun um <laughs> yeah I, mean, I, I just i just find it a complete departure but i find it really fun yeah you know i mean i'm still being competitive doing it but by the time i've done table tennis for an hour or two i feel really refreshed yeah. and so it's really about finding what works for you don't go onto one of these pages that says top five things to do to like decompress or it's good for your like mental and then it says walking, meditating, and something else. And then you realize that oh, I absolutely hate meditation. Why am I forcing myself to do this? I, I hate walking. Why am I out here doing this? Yes, these things are in theory good for you. Yes, being in green space is theoretically good for you. But you need to understand what makes you tick and you know create your own environment that you're happy in and things like this, rather than just going off what is deemed as optimal for the median average person by studies that of course are accurate but they're if you know just because it's more helpful for 80 percent of people doesn't mean that it's going to work for you and of course the study benefits or meditation beneficial for the majority of people or is just beneficial depending on how they <laughs> say it right but it, it doesn't mean it works for you and so i think just over time add more things to your toolkit that you see as decompressors that you see as making sure you're not overriding that stress bucket so to speak so you can give your optimal performance be happy and you know pursue something meaningful yeah no for sure that made me laugh because uh yeah i see so many of these sort of morning routine videos where mm. you know there's about a million things to add into your routine like they get in the cold shower they get out they meditate and then there's like yeah. five other things and it's like by the time you've done all that it's like probably you're midday fried. <laughs> yeah you're fried yeah. Yeah. What's, what's, yeah what's the point you're already you're already sat there knackered yeah do something yeah. that like, actually works for you and maybe stick to like one or two things um, well, if, if you're happy productive like let's say you want to be productive you know you want to be productive you want to be energetic you want to be happy and you're doing that whilst having two takeouts a day and you know maybe hitting a what maybe you pick one of those things you like okay i really enjoy uh going to the gym yeah. and you're happy and you're doing the things you want to do then why change it 
I think the the things the the inspiration to change comes from the fact when you're not happy with what you're currently your day-to-day life is or what you're producing and so if you're feeling that way then experiment then change but if you found something that works don't you don't need to add something to it because someone says it's theoretically better <laughs> yeah no for sure no that's a that's good advice that um okay um sort of moving forward then um like what sort of next for you like you mentioned you're in a bit of a trip like tricky spot at the moment um yeah. what sort of your goals and aspirations whether it's inside of esports or outside of esports uh with, with, with your um studies like have you got any future plans with that um and yeah inside esports as well I mean, within esports, of course, I really want to keep going and keep making a hopefully a good contribution to the players and teams I work with because I fundamentally really enjoy competing and also the process of competition in of itself, regardless of sort of winning or losing. I think it's something that uh, I find a lot of, I have a lot of passion for. So being able to continue that would be great. At the same time, I guess I have to be strategic. And if I think a team's not going to do very well because I look at the roster and I'm like, hmm, no, then. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much I love it. It could be a bad career move. So I kind of have to to dodge on that front. So I guess we'll see. That's the joy of off-season. Um, hopefully good things will happen eventually on that front. But if not, then I'll just find the sort of next best way forward. So if I don't have a team, maybe I'll do some individual coaching. Maybe I'll stream. Uh, you know, at least within the esports space, I'm sure there's things that I can be doing that are beneficial to set me up better for next off-season and keep going that way. Yeah. In regards to real life, I'm going to finish my degree this year. Finally, let's go. Wow. Uh, happy days. So just make sure I put in enough work to get a decent result in that would be would be always good since balancing the two is is a difficult stretch. And yeah, see where life takes me. It, it can be very exciting, I hope. If that's in esports research, if that's in esports coaching, if that's in coaching qualifications. Yeah, yeah. But uh, sure. I, I'll be very excited to see what happens. Yeah. Well, in we wish you all the best with it. And in terms of the research, there's definitely a huge you know, potential for that. You know, it's much needed in the space. So, uh, so yeah, for sure. Um, is it this academic year you're finishing or this year, calendar year? Uh, this academic year. Academic, so okay, I, yeah. I finished 2023 July or okay. June, whenever exactly yeah, yeah. my, my, my well, date is. Yeah. Fair. Warwick isn't far from me. I, I'm based in Leicester, so. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not too far. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, mm-hmm. we have a segment to sort of finish uh, episodes. It's, it's it's a new segment we're doing in this sort of esports season, where we ask the previous guest to ask the future guest a question, um, and they don't know who the future guest is. So, yeah, we had um, Harris Hadzik on, who's a Norwegian professional CS:GO player, and he asked you, "Who's the most influential person that's been in your life or esports?" Hmm. Picking out one is very difficult, I will say. Um, <laughs> Top three. Especially in your life. Um, yeah. I guess I, I'll always say my parents were a huge, uh, a huge impact on me, mainly because it's just true. Fundamentally, I've spent so many years of my life with them. But at the same time, they also really support, uh, support me in trying to develop and trying to push myself. And I think if I didn't have parents who were supportive or able to understand and try and just get interested in what i'm doing i had to teach some league of legends last year uh because they wanted to watch at the end of the day i think that builds a huge uh that that's shown how much investing in somebody else as another human can can sort of be uh how inspirational that can be and how worthwhile that is i guess sort of being on the receiving end and so it's quite uh it's something i always want to do for other people as well yeah okay Uh, and then in terms of like you asking the next person a question like you can either sit on it and think for a while or come up with one on the spot right now with uh, no pressure but yeah (laughs) i can i assume they're esports people yeah yeah it'll definitely be it will either be a coach or player okay uh aside from the game you're currently playing professionally what game from when you were younger was your like most enjoyable i played this to bits game (laughs) i love that i love that yeah what was um, what, what was yours answer your question <laughs> uh i guess mostly it was team fortress 2 oh, if any of you guys played that no no yeah, we're no. more like just console like standard games like <laughs> FIFA, call of duty um they yeah. were sort of the main two for me growing up specifically cod wow. yeah uh, i've got a huge amount on rts's like starcraft 
Command and Conquer, Red Alert, which are sort of the over-the-top strategy games. And mm-hmm. then in terms of sh- like shooters or game I put a lot of hours into, Team Fortress 2 is the first game I was allowed to play because it was more cartoony. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, so yeah, so I had thousands of hours oh, in that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I my used... parents were as considerate for that because I remember playing like San Andreas GTA. <laughs> <laughs> that was the last not allowed on that front for a while. So. Yeah, no, definitely not. But, uh, but no, thanks so much for coming on and sort of sharing some time with us. Uh, we really appreciate it. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. So, yeah, in terms of like the outro, we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you could please share this with your friends or someone you feel will benefit from it. Most importantly, like, subscribe, comment down below any questions or guests you'd like us to get on in the future. Also, go follow us on Twitter or Instagram. Links will be in the description of the YouTube video or find us at Master of the Mind podcast. Thanks for listening and we'll see you in the next one. <laughs>